is up, PGA enthusiasts? We are back for another week of an exciting uh, round. We had a good week last week, and as you might notice, this week we have a little bit of a change of crew. Uh, Sia is not around tonight, so we got our friends at the Better Golf Podcast joining us this evening. Uh, Nick and Spencer, thanks for coming on. Hey, yeah, um, pleasure to be here. See us away, so we're going to have some fun. I'm wearing the bucket cap. Feeling good. Um, excited to introduce Spencer, my co-host at the Better Golf Tournament or Better Golf Podcast. He is one of the brightest minds in DFS betting, everything, especially in golf. And then real quick, congrats to you, Joel, Mr. Showdown, second place, 30K. Uh, I feel like you just print money every single showdown slate, at least every single week. So congrats to that. And then Spencer, how are we feeling? Um, let's get, I mean, I know we just did an hour podcast together too. So I know you're feeling good and I know we got a good read on this slate. Yeah. I mean, I have big shoes to fill to do this show and Joel won $30,000. So, I mean, we're going to have to try to follow that up. That will be easy guys. I am, uh, I am no, I am no tail task to follow up. Uh, and you know what, I, you know what I like about this week is that I actually think, you know, more so than normal, we have a real core that we can kind of narrow it down to from a DFS perspective uh, where we can really feel like, you know, confident of, of our core and play out there opposed to a lot of weeks where there's, you know, probably a bigger field of pool of players where we have to kind of pick and choose between from DFS. But I feel confident we can narrow it down. But before we kind of dive in, um, I think this is going to be really interesting in that this course has a lot of history, right? They've played here for, you know, 30, over 30 years. You know, we're going to get a lot of data that we can use. Um, some of the things you probably read already or you've seen on the internet in terms of driving accuracy being key here. It's not as long of a course. You might not need all the bombers as you normally would. Uh, before we dive into things, uh, Spencer, what are you what are you guys seeing in terms of you know stats for this course this week? Yeah, I mean, when we look at this from a statistical perspective, you know, I would say the consensus around the industry seems to be approach play above all else, but I'm not like I just mentioned it with Nick on the better golf pod. I'm not so sure I necessarily agree with that. You know, when we look at where the dispersion comes from with um, the strokes gain metrics with this 18.2% of the shots come from off the tee tour average is only 15.1%. So, you know, you have a 3.1% increase there strokes gain approaches at 31.4%. So we do see that like all weeks strokes gain approach is going to be more influential in trying to indicate a winner but that totals 3.3% below average. So, you know, when I was breaking down my stats, one of the first things I did is I started with a reconstructed T to green category that featured the above splits. And I just remeasured that to equal 100%. So that equated to essentially 48% approach, 28% off the tee, as well as 24% around the green. I think around the green will be crucial this week. That was another stat that just, I don't think that many people are talking about. And I do think it's going to matter. And then I just took all that strokes gain data and placed a 20% weight onto that category. So that's how I started it. Um, I mean, are you guys fine with me just rolling through all of these, I guess? Absolutely. Let it go. Let it, let it eat. See, it's so, not here. So you can do whatever you want. So <laughs> I, I put 17.5% on opportunities gain plus putting from 5 to 10 feet. You know, this unfortunately does have the propensity to turn into a putting contest, but I didn't want to exclude bad putters. And I felt like the above combination provided golfers that gave themselves chances and converted from a makeable range. So those between those two things, I have 37 and percent there. I think that's kind of where I want to be in my general exposure with it. 
I have weighted proximity from 125 to 175 yards and 200 and 200 plus for also 17 and a half percent. That's just another historical mathematical split that gets remeasured. 30% of that data comes from 125 to 150, 37% from 150 to 175, and 33% from 200 plus. The 200 plus is a lot of the, you know, you have a couple par threes that are long. You have the par fives that you do need to score on. Um, par fours are going to be crucial this week uh, when we look at this. I have ball striking for 12.5%. You know, yes, players find a lot of fairways and greens here, but you can't go low and attack pins if you're wayward off the tee. I think that's the one key thing that a lot of people are missing when they're doing their research. So I made a total driving stat where 65% went to distance, uh, 35% to accuracy. You could argue that you could push those a little bit closer because I agree, Joel, you need to be accurate off the tee. You need to find fairways here. But it would, I probably wouldn't go more than like a 55-45 split with that. Uh, so then I took that number, 60% of that came from total driving, and then the 40% from GIR to get the ball striking. I have 12.5% on T to green on short peak die tracks. This obviously makes the model even heavier on T to green, but it allowed me to add in data that was more pertinent to River Highlands, I thought. Overall birdie or better percentage for 10%. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on par four average. As I said, you know, I think you could make an argument that par four birdie or better percentage, you could go that way with it too. I think you need to score on the par fours, but I didn't want to make it so heavy in the scoring data with it. So that's where I uh, put my 100% with it. I have a little course history put into the mix. I have current form like I always do, but that's where my mind is at this week. Spencer, you are so detailed. That is, you are very in-depth. That's, that is really great. That is really helpful, especially for folks who are just starting to dive in for the week to start knowing where you want to look, how you're going to get, uh, find those special statistics to kind of hone in on, especially the lower tier guys. Now, this week, you know, me personally, I, I have a different take than I normally do in terms of the top tier, but we'll get back to that in a minute. Before we dive in, uh, Nick, do you have any things that you're looking to specifically this week on this course? Uh, Nick, you're on mute. Uh, yeah, I was on mute. Damn it. See, so you'd be pissed. Um, no, total driving, everything off the tee, uh, the accuracy. But around the green was my biggest thing this week. Spencer and I just talked about it. That uh, should scream uh, slick Ricky Fowler. We'll get into him in a little bit later. But, yeah, I, I just – how do I even follow that up? There's like <laughs> – I just – when Spencer goes off on, on what the course should play, I adjust my model as he talks, and then there we go. Adjust my grades that way. I'll give a, a little bit of a simpler breakdown from my end. I think for, for folks who, who are um, just kind of breaking this down, throwing a few lineups in, some of the bigger things that are important for me this week are, like I said to begin with, I want accuracy off the team more than anything. I'm probably overweighting accuracy. I want guys that are going to be in fairways. We've seen guys like uh, Todd pop here because he's hitting a lot of fairways, and he's really not that good of a golfer, but this course seems to suit um, his eye. Uh, and, and we're going to go back to the normal approach is going to be heavy. We want the, the best approach players, the best iron players. Uh, those are the guys that seem to rise to the top here. I actually think we can play a little bit more bad putters this week. I don't, I don't think it's going to be as hard on the greens. So I think guys, if you're really ball strikers that we tend to fade because they aren't good putters, I think we can give a little bit more of a look here because I don't think that would be as big of a difference. Um, that's it for me, though. And let's uh, let's go ahead and dive right into the to the player pool. Please, let's do it. Let's do it. So let's start up in the 10k range. Uh, let's start with you, Nick. Who do you like up there? Honestly, the only guy I want to play. I know 
ownership is going to be really high on Bryson. Cantlay is going to be very high. I am I honestly don't like this range a whole lot. Paul Casey graded out as the number one golfer in my model. I know he's going to be insanely popular. We'll get to him. But Dustin Johnson, I think he's starting to play really good golf. I know he blew up again on, at the Palmetto, but didn't really do a whole lot at the U.S. Open. I think this course fits him very well. I think if he needs to hit fairways and he could also leave his driver in the bag, I think that is a force to be reckoned with there. I do like his putting on POA a little bit more than I usually have. So I'm going with Dustin Johnson. He's going to be right around 10 to 12% owned. Bryson's just too high owned for me, and I'm not personally not a Bryson guy. Brooks, it's not a major, so... You know how I feel there. Cantlay, I love, but if he's going to be 20, 25% owned, I think I got to fade that. Patrick Reed's interesting, but he only graded out like he was ninth overall for me. So in terms of DFS, he's the fifth price golfer. So to me, it's just not much value there outside of just low ownership for the upside there. Right. Yeah, and, and like I, I agree with those sentiments also. Like my favorite GPP play is Dustin Johnson this week. I don't think he's playing nearly as poorly as the perception is around him. He's getting 10.2 shots off the T-plus approach over his past two starts. And one of the things that I always mention, and, and I've noticed this trend, he's had the propensity to play better on these tracks where he gets these POA grass, but then you mix it in with the bent grass with it. So when we look at what he's done historically, he gained 8.5 shots and 5.6 shots in two of his last three starts at uh, Chapultepec, which is the WGC Mexico. He also has averaged 2.53 shots on the greens at Riviera. I think, you know, like we saw him gain six shots here last year. I think it's just a really good tournament for him. And I think it's a really good course fit from what we're trying to do. So I would say he's my favorite GPP play. If you're looking for a leverage spot to take, I would be remiss not to mention Brooks Kepka. I agree with what Nick said. It's not a major and you could make that argument, but he is more into this with this whole Bryson, you know, debacle, fiasco, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I guess it's fun between the two of them, but you could say that he's more in tune to these tournaments than he normally would be. Um, the safest play for me would probably be Cantley, but we see that indicated from the ownership. He's the highest owned player for a reason. Uh, he has three consecutive top 15 performances at TPC River Highlands and hasn't finished outside of 23rd place in his past three starts on tour. I guess the one downside to that would be He's better in California. We have not seen that at this course, though. I was hoping the ownership wouldn't necessarily translate because of that. But uh, I'm also down on Reed for the most part. He's 13th in my model, so he was the lowest there. And then Bryson, I just don't really know what to think about Bryson. Like, you could argue he has the most upside for this tournament. He has the most upside every week. But he was trying to go back-to-back. He has to be frustrated with that. He has this whole Brooks thing going on. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to like shoot anybody for the idea of wanting to play Bryson, but I do think there are some red flags that you can find. I'm with you. I'm scared off by Bryson based on his meltdown on Sunday. Uh, He really like melted down bad for a guy as good as golf as he is. So it's hard to go to him after seeing what he did just a couple of days ago. Uh, And also, you know, he's, you know, and Bryson will tell you himself, he's not even trying to hit fairways. And on a course that we know we want to have accurate people, He's not going to mean a lot of fairies, and that, that might hurt him here. So I'm not going to be as, as high on Bryson either. I'm with you guys from a GPP perspective. I think uh, Dustin Johnson's playing well, and if we can get him at a leverage ownership this week, I think there's going to be a, there can be an advantage to that. So I like DJ a lot. Uh, you know, I can't fade Cantlay. I mean, if, if the stats speak for themselves. He's pretty safe. If, for a cash game, I would recommend him. Maybe my favorite play. Um, for GPPs, you know, it depends, you know, how big of a tournament you're playing. I can certainly understand wanting to get different because he is going to be pretty highly owned.
But I also think he could very easily go out and win this thing. And so even if you are playing a lot of lineups, uh, you don't want to be, you know, out on him completely because if he goes and has a great week, you're not going to be able to make any money. So I would say definitely have some exposure to Kenley. And if you want to play that exposure game based on GPPs because he's highly owned, then you can certainly do so. The last person here that, that I want to mention, I actually like Reed quite a bit. I think for, for Patrick Reed, his ball striking recently is improved than what he normally does. Uh, and if we can, you know, we know he's going to be elite around the green and putting. And if we can get that extended, you know, iron play, uh, if he's gaining three or four strokes with his irons, then he can be dangerous to win any tournament. And he has, you've seen, he's getting top tens almost every other tournament that he's playing. And I almost like that it feels like he's a little overpriced in this field because that is what's keeping his ownership intact. Uh, from a GPP perspective, if he was, you know, 8,500 and looking at 20% owned, I probably wouldn't want to play him. So I'd almost rather pay up a little bit and have less ownership because uh, I think that will help us get different in some of these bigger tournaments. Um, let's go down to the 9K range. Spencer, you want to start us off there? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess my favorite GPP play would be Paul Casey. Like, I know he's 20% owned. That's not usually what I'm trying to find, but... It's hard to like, he's number one in my model pretty much any single way I, I run it. And one of the things that's interesting is that I always like to just at least look at is when you look at these head-to-head matchups of who they're priced against, Casey is steadily and slowly becoming the favorite against anybody in this field in a lot of books. So I think at $9,900, we're looking at a golfer that you could argue, I mean, you could replace him and Reed, I think. And I think it's a a very good point that you make with Reed with it. And it's the same point that could be made with Dustin. If we just go back into that section, like Dustin's $11,400, he's 10% owned because people think they can pay down with it. But like a lot of times you don't get things exactly the way you want. And like, you would rather have it to where you're going to overpay for a guy a little bit, if it means the ownership doesn't come with it. And unfortunately, like I don't view this Paul Casey number as some great number because if he was 10,700, I could get better, you know, leverage of what I'm trying to get on the field with him. So unfortunately, I'm just going to let my model speak with it. I think it's one of those spots where I'm not going to try to overthink or outthink my model with it. I think if you are trying to find a leverage spot, you could argue that Tony Finau makes some sense here. I know there are some issues with his history at the course and where his game's currently at after his miscut at the US Open. But with all the ownership that's swarming to Abraham answer, you know, Answer and Fino are not two guys that you necessarily think of for their win equity. So if everybody's going to go play answer and I, I like answer in cash games, he doesn't grade poorly for me. He's inside the top 15. I would just rather play answer in cash games and, you know, pivot over to a guy like Tony Fino to where I think at 9,200, we're actually getting a pretty good spot to take a shot with him. And I guess as the last play, just for somebody that I find safe for like a cash game perspective, I like Kevin Strillman at 9,400. And I think you could even make an argument that he's a better pivot over Abraham answer and GPPs. If Stroman's going to be 15% and answer is going to be like 25%. Stroman has four straight top 33 results at TPC river highlands. He has posted five consecutive top 26 finishes. I think there's just a lot to like about him. And I mean, unfortunately, like if I play Casey, I'm going to have to find a way to deviate elsewhere with it. But I think this is an easy enough tournament. Cause you are right. Like we can find where we like our little ranges here. And I can play Casey with somebody that just doesn't carry as much ownership. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think what's interesting about Casey, he I'm kind of putting Casey into that family of Tony Finau's where like he's always going to be good. He never wins. 
from a DF perspective, that's okay because he doesn't need to win. If he gets you a top five, that will that can win in, in your lineup. Um, his iron play is as good as anybody playing right now. He's absolutely killing the ball. But you know, there's something there about him. Like I just he's missing something at this price and ownership. Those it's the combination that's turning me off of Casey. Um, you know, if, if the ownership was down, I'd be on him. If the price was down, I'd probably be on him. But the combination of both is, is having me pivot elsewhere. Uh, Nick, what do you think about this range? Whatever the ownership is on Paul Casey, I will be two or three X times a field on him. I always play Paul Casey. I absolutely love Scotty Scheffler, a guy that is just off the team magician. Streelman, I he's like a walking top 40 bet for me every single week, so I think he's as safe as they come. I do like what Spencer said and kind of flipping him with Anser. I did want nothing to do with Abraham Anser this week or Anser, whatever you pronounce it. I'm not going to play him in cash. I'm not going to play him anywhere. But I, I love Tony Finau. He graded out fourth for me in my model. That never happens. It's right behind Paul Casey, Patrick Cantlay, Scotty Scheffler, and then Tony Finau. So personally, I'm trying to do whatever I can to get two out of those three guys in almost every single lineup I build this week in, uh, in terms of single entry, obviously, in MME. Anything could happen the way you set your settings. But I love Casey. I love Scheffler. I love Tony Finau. Streelman will probably be more of a cash guy for me. But he's been playing a lot of golf right now, and he's been playing so, so well. Like I don't want to say the wheels are going to fall off soon, especially with this course. It sets up very, very similar to his home course in Illinois, Cantini. If anybody's ever played there, beautiful course. Uh, could not recommend it more, but it is just like that. You have to hit fairways that are going to be in trouble there. Uh, it's one of my favorite courses to play, actually. But um, just to recap, Casey Scheffler and Tony Finau, I will be as all in as I possibly can on those three guys. Yeah, we actually got a, a good question in the chat here from Jesse O'Shea on does some of the pricing in the 9K range seem off? I would say the short answer to that for me is yes. The reason for that is, and, and you hear us talk about this a lot with some of the non-big tournaments, non-majors, things like that. Um, you know, I think the Palmetto, I was calling it a JV tournament because it was like, you know, two real guys. And after that, it was a bunch of guys that, you know, half of, it was KF, the Corn Ferry Tour guys in the tournament, things like that. It's not quite a JV tournament. I'll, I'll label this one a mid-major, right? It's not – you don't have all the big names. You do have a pretty strong, you know, upper tier. So I think it might be a little deceiving because people see, oh, well, TJ and Kepka and Bryson. So it's, you know, another regular field. But then after that, it's really falling off. We don't have a lot of those mid-tier guys that we would normally get. So it's a bit weaker than normal. I think you're seeing that start to show in the 9K range. But I think DraftKings did a good job pricing it accordingly. Like, you know, moving a guy like Strillman up who – is a good fit for this course. It knows a lot of people are going to like him. It makes it makes people have to make a tough decision who to play. I like your guys' breakdown of this range a lot. I think you know finding leverage is going to be important here. Tony Finau, um, I'm with you guys on. I mean, the, this price for him for this field, the fact that Tony Finau is cheaper than Kevin Strillman. I mean, I like Strillman. Strillman's I think is really good, but Tony Finau is an elite golfer. This is a guy who you know we would consider an all star. And it certainly would not consider Kevin Stroman an all-star. So, um, yeah, there's certain things where, you know, if Tony Fina was priced correctly, I might not like him this week. But with the mispricing, um, I think there's it's a good way to get value. And it doesn't seem like the ownership's too high. I mean, if we're going to get him at an underpriced with a fair ownership, I mean, this is this just seems like a really good way, especially for GPPs, to, um, to get different. None of us uh, even mentioned Matthew Wolf. I'll say what, he did look good last week. He came – um, you know, and, and he he played really well. He got a lot of birdies, but this just doesn't seem like a good course fit for him. He's another guy that's not going to find a lot of fairways, uh, and he is prone to blow up. And this is a course where 
I can see him missing the cut. I, I would actually say, and you guys might talk about this on the Better Golf Club, my bet would be on him to miss the cut. You'll probably get plus odds on someone who you know is going to be all over the course, and it just takes one hole for him to blow up, and he could easily miss the cut this week. Uh, and, and then I'm going to I'm gonna give my stamp of approval on Scheffler as well. Scheffler's been playing great. He was competing last week just putting, right? I mean, he wasn't even striking the ball well, and he was just dropping putts left and right. If you add some, a nice driver and, and some iron play, which he's known to do, right, that wouldn't be out of the ordinary for him. Uh, he could easily take down this tournament. So I think there, there are a few really nice plays here. I think the one area where I'm different than you guys is I actually happen to like Abraham Answer a lot. Uh, I started off the week off of him. Uh, similar to you guys, I just thought – Either the last two weeks he's went out, he missed the cut, something was missing. But when I deeper, his um, iron play, his approach to play it was really strong last week. He actually was not good around the green in putting, which is not traditional for him. So I think he'll get that back. And he is known to be one of the more accurate drivers. So he should find a lot of fairways. His lack of distance off the tee shouldn't hurt him as much here as it does at other courses. So I think Andrew is, is a really good play. I do want to just check his ownership before Thursday because if it does start to creep up into – you know, the upper teens are, are near 20, over 20 in. That is a little bit too high, and I'll and I'll temper my ownership from there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, sorry, continue. No, no, that's it. That's it. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, for the answer conversation, what you just said, and it's like, I, I agree with everything there. It's, it's not that answers, you know, quote, unquote, a bad play. It's just, like, my projections, I see him at about 20%. And if he's going to be 20%, I think you do have a lack of win equity from him, where, like... I, I love him for cash games. Like you can pencil, I you could make a cash game lineup. You could start it with Strillman, you know, Casey answer some combination of those three. And I think you're off to a really good start with it. Uh, you mentioned Wolf. When I look at leverage for GPP contest, my three best leverage spots were Finau, Kepka, and Dustin above 9,000. By far and away, the worst spot that I had of a player was Wolf. Like I want nothing to do with them. I, I like with where you're at with missing the cut. Like, I don't know if he actually will, but I, I was telling Nick on the Better Golf Pod, like, I think it's one of those things where everything that you've gotten from him in the last tournament has all been forgiven from the past. And now all of a sudden he's being priced just about where he was before. And like, sure, you could make an argument that maybe he would have been even a little bit higher if the form was fully there. But I just don't want to pay $9,000 plus for a golfer where we've seen one good performance. I'm not so sure this course fits him correctly. And I think the miscut potential is very high. Yeah, I'm totally agree with that. Especially when he, you know, he kind of he started off really strong last week, but he didn't finish really strong. He started coming reverting back, and if, if he gets some of that form from Saturday and Sunday this week, then he probably will miss the cut. So, uh, not a lot, not in love with him at all. Um, let's go down to the 8K range here. Uh, how about Spencer? You want to start us off on the 8K range? Yeah, I don't love this range as a whole. Like you know, Bubba Watson. I think a lot of the pricing there is from his victory from a couple years ago. I think he looked good at the U.S. Open, so we're seeing that, um, you know, at $8,900. I think Brian Harmon, you can say there is some level of safety, but once again, I mean, if we're going to get a 15% owned Brian Harmon, and Brian Harmon's one of my guys I play a lot of. My model is a little bit lower on him than usual, but even still, I mean, he's in the top 15, especially if you look from a cash game perspective from it. I, I just worry of where the win equity is with him. Cameron Smith, I'm pretty much out on until we see something else like when I run an upside model for him, he jumps up a little bit, but I mean, he's, I think he is the worst guy for me in the 8,000 and above range when I look from a safety perspective. So, I mean, keep him far away from cash game lineups. Hoffman at 8,600. I thought we were getting something. 
Nick and I both had a big ticket on him last week to come in the top 40. He unfortunately spiraled down to 57th. He was 57th the week before. You know, at 15%, I think there's a lot of people forgetting that. My model has him 7th overall. I'm kind of conflicted on what to do with him. I love Siwoo Kim. I think anytime you get him on a Pete Dye track, and unfortunately that's a narrative that gets overplayed, but he's the number one player in my model on Pete Dye tracks. He's 12% owned. I was expecting it to be higher. I'm willing to bite that bullet there. And then other than that, I mean, maybe I could like, I mean, nobody's going to play Justin Rose after what he did last week at the U.S. Open. I kind of understand that. If you're looking for a dart throw, maybe. I mean, I'm not necessarily going to get there. Um, Henley faltered down the stretch, but my model seems to like him. Adam Scott, maybe. But I don't know. This range as a whole is just not really where I want to be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, and I, I, I'm with you. I think there's not a lot to love here. I'm certainly not going to be playing any Bubba. I think Bubba's very overpriced. Um, he might hit some nice shots off the tee, but his his approach numbers have been so poor that this is not someone, especially at this price, I could take any shots on. I like Harmon quite a bit. Um, I'm not a Harmon guy, uh, but more recently, over the last month and a half or so, he's just been lights out. I mean, he hasn't faltered. It, it wasn't a blip in the pan. I mean, he's been consistently showing up week in, week out. He hits a lot of fairways, so – I actually think this course should grade out well for him if he's going to stay in the fairway and, and hit his approach um, shots well. I like Harmon a great deal. I, he's another one, though. I do want to check ownership. Right now, he looks like it's about 15. So for me, that's fine. Uh, if it starts getting higher, which I'm afraid it might, then I might kind of get scared off from him a little bit. So we'll see where that lands. Um, I mean, Cameron Smith I wouldn't touch him in a cash game. That would make no sense. I do think there's some upside, though, from a GPP perspective. I mean, he can be the best putter in the in the tournament and if he's a good around the green and he's hitting fairways um he's more of an upside play so again i wouldn't keep your ownership of him too high but if you want to take a few gpp dart throws uh, i think that could make sense i'm actually off of hoffman this week um i think c mentioned something on, on the first cut pod as well about feeling the same way i feel like he got really hot and, and we had we saw that hot streak with him but i think that's a little bit above who he actually is uh, I think we're starting to get back to the normal Hoffman, which is to me more of a 7,500 golfer, uh, which we, right now he's getting a little bit overpriced based on this hot streak that he had. And his around the green numbers have been so poor that if you're waiting that at all this week, it's going to really bring him back. And uh, for that reasons, I'm going to, I'm going to try and stay away from him. And my way of getting different is, is going to be right there at, at Siwoo Kim. Uh, I like Siwoo Kim a lot. Siwoo Kim has a great track record of Pete Dye courses. He's going to be accurate off the key. And his recent approach numbers, his iron play has been really strong. So things seem to be heading in the right direction for Siwoo. Uh, I do think this number is a little high for him. I would rather see him closer to eight or in the high seven range. But again, this is a weird tournament. We're going to get some weird pricing. And you just got to have to pick your spots on the guys you like. So uh, I do want to mention Siwoo. And the last guy in this range who, who I like uh, is Harris English. Uh, Harris English has been playing great. Um, the last two tournaments, you know, and you remember C mentioned last week, he mentioned that he had a back injury and that's what was kind of holding him back. And he seems to have gotten over that. And so since, uh, since then he's, he's really showed up. He's looked really solid. Um, and I think at 8,200, this is a leverage play. If he was priced more than Kevin Strillman this week, I don't think anyone would have thought that was odd, right? I think those are two competitive golfers at $1,500 or so in savings. That could be a, a really a, a nice sneaky play. Nick, what, what about you? What do you see in this range? 
Honestly, Siwoo Kim is the only AK golfer that I like this week. Usually, I'm all about Charlie Hoffman, but ownership's going to be crazy high. The guy's been playing so much golf. Harris English is like 25% owned. If anybody's mispriced, it's Harris English. Uh, but I, I just, out of principle, I cannot play a guy that's going to be 25% owned in a field this big. I love Spencer's take on Justin Rose, but other than that, I really don't have much interest in this this AK range at all just because I am uh, jamming so many guys in the 9K range, hopefully three of them in every lineup I could do. So, honestly, I, I can't really play anybody in the AK range. But I do like Siwoo Kim. He was pretty high on my model this week. I, I totally agree. I actually didn't know English was looking like 25%. That is too much. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to reel back a little bit if it's going to be that high. But we definitely come back. Check uh, check Win Daily's the ownership article from Steven Wednesday night. That is the most accurate ownership articles I've seen. Yep. So get, get your read on that. Make sure you know what that looks like before tee off Thursday morning. Um, now let's have some fun. I think the 7K range is going to be fun. There's a lot of – this is where we're going to get our value. This is going to be the differentiator. There's, you know, there's going to be a lot of chalk up top. I think here's where we're going to find the guys that are going to really make us some money this week. And I just want to start with the first name, Garrett Higo. What are we doing with Higo this week? I mean, we've seen the upside. He's came across to the States. He's won a tournament now. He's also missed a cut. He's kind of, We've seen a little bit of everything from him. Do you guys think he might be a, a good course fit this week? Well, I, I like, you know, when we look at his ownership, I mean, we're looking at around 6 to 7%. So I think that you're not going to have tons of people on him. So I think that's a really good starter for looking for him. He's at 22 years old. He seems to be a guy who has upside that can far exceed this range. I think that's a big positive. You know, I think some of these statistical fits, like we're still, it's kind of the thing with Will Zalatoris when we started with him. Like everybody had a general theory of how Will Zalatoris played. And I kind of think over time that it's changed a little bit. Like my initial perception on Zalatoris was like, you put him on a test, he was going to bomb it away. And then all of a sudden his approach numbers became like the best in the world. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not the right course I'm looking at for this with what I'm trying to do with him. Like maybe he's better at iron tests. Maybe he's better at some of these tests that go a certain way with it. So I think a lot is still up in the air with Higo. My model likes him. I mean, it doesn't like him so much to where like I'm penciling him in across the board, but for a guy that I don't have much data on, uh, my model is not saying not to play him, which is, I mean, I guess a good first step. Definitely. Nick, what say I, you? I, I second everything Spencer said. There's no like huge pop for me. Honestly, my favorite guy in this range is going to be Francesco Molinari. So that's where I'm going to pivot to. I'm taking a very stern stance this week on who I'm playing, and I really want to buy into Molinari finding his game right now. I like yeah. but I do like Higo. Don't get me wrong. He seems to be an extremely talented player, really good off the tee. Obviously has winning equity. We've seen him go, you know, damn near wire to wire, I guess not wire to wire, but hang in there all, all tournament long, never really have a bad round and then go get it Sunday. So I do like that, but ownership's going to be pretty high on him. I, I do think his price is a little low. I get it, but he's more of a cash game guy for me this week. I think. Interesting. I actually take the opposite approach of Higo. I think he goes more of a tournament play than cash game. Uh, Cause I do think I, I agree with you. I think he has upside. I think he can close strong, um, but I'm not sure I, I see consistency yet. So I don't want to put him in my cash lines. I, I want to play him in tournaments. I want to have some exposure because I think if he's playing well, he's as good as anybody. Uh, I just don't know if he can play well week to week. So uh, that's where I'm going to kind of put pause a little bit. Um, and, and you know what? I'll start us off in this range, kind of going down a little bit more. I think the obvious play, and the ownership will probably bear this out, is Keegan Bradley. Um, Keegan, you know, this is his home course, so that's the first. Uh, Keegan's approach metrics, his, his ball striking has been 
He's on a stretch, on a tear right now. I don't remember what the number was. It's close to like 20 rounds where he's gaining strokes on approach. So he's as good a form as he's as Keegan Bradley's going to be in at his home course in a tournament where, again, another guy that easily could have been priced up another $1,000 and no one would have batted an eye. So at that $1,000 discount, getting him at under 8K, uh, it seems like a no-brainer to me. So if there is somewhere where you're going to eat chalk, you, I think it's better to eat chalk in the lower price ranges than to eat chalk um, up top. So uh, I think from that standpoint, I'm definitely going to be playing a lot of Keegan. I think he's going to compete this week. doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win the tournament, but I do think uh, he's going to have a showing. So I like him a lot. He's one of my higher owned, owned golfers. I also like Max Homa this week. Max Homa is a guy who's, you know, he's very hit or miss. He's a GPP play for sure. You'll see he'll miss a cut and get a top 10, right? And that's like every other week with him. Um, he has the around the green game. He can hit putts. I think his, his his iron play has been improving recently. He just needs a week where he puts it all together, right? He'll have a week where he putts well, but then misses off the tee. He'll have a week where he hits his irons well, but misses around the green. He gets a week where he puts it all together. He can really compete. And I think in this field, I think he's a value at this price. Um, this is, you know, we're not getting our Morikawas, our Hovlands, all those guys are out. I think that is a big boost for a guy like Max Homa. Um, I like Molinari a lot too. I'm, I'm with Nick. I think that that's a really nice sneaky play, especially at $7,700. Um, and then, you know, keep going down this range. There's a lot of passing over. I, I know someone that, that Sia likes a lot that he's mentioned earlier in the week is Aaron Wise, who, um, you know, is good, really strong ball striking. Those numbers are going to pop out, and the reason we normally are off of wide is because he can't putt. Uh, but but he's been putting well the last couple of weeks. He's, maybe he's found something on the green, and if he has, then I do think he's going to be a really good value here. So I think wise could be a nice play, someone that I'm going to certainly have some exposure to. And then I'm going to stop around the mid-range. The last person here I'm going to mention is Ian Poulter. Now, the thing that's weird about Poulter, he's not going to grade out well in a lot of models because he does rely a lot on short game and putting. Um, he's probably one of the best putters on tour, but he has been playing a bit better with his irons. His off the tee accuracy has been pretty good. Uh, and he's been competing recently. I mean, he has a few finishes. Um, let me just double check. Um, his last five outings, it was a miscut at the Wells Fargo. Tied for 30th at the PGA. Third at the Schwab. 25th at the Palmetto. And then 40th at the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open is just not a track fit for him. So this should suit him way better than, than the U.S. Open. I think he's, he's ready to compete at this price range. Uh, that's a good value. Spencer, what are you thinking in this range? Yeah, I guess, I mean, to complete for all three of us being on the same Francesco Molinari play, he's probably my favorite play in this range. I, I just think you get a level of safety with him. I think you get the upside if he's turning his game around. You have to love, I mean, early projections seem to have him around 5 6 7% ownership. I think there's a ton of upside, mostly if you're looking for a guy to differentiate a little bit if you have eaten chalk somewhere. And, you know, Keegan Bradley like is one of those guys where if your model likes him or he's one of those guys that's popping out, like, I mean, there's really not much to say not to play him other than ownership. Like it's the same thing that we talked about with all these guys so far. I wish he was more expensive. I wish like people had to make a decision at 7,900. A lot of people are just going to pencil him in. He's 12th in my model. He's, he's not worse than 15th, no matter how I ran it. So unfortunately, you know, I just think it's a bad pricing on DraftKings part there. I like Sam Burns a little bit from a, a GPP perspective. If we're trying to throw out there, I mean, he's going to be 10 or 11% owned, but statistically he grades out as a top 10 option for me. Uh, Aaron Wise, to go with your point, Joel, on that, I think, you know, four straight made cuts, three of those inside the top 17. 
And I guess if we're stopping at the 7,400 number, the last guy I would mention is Lanto Griffin. He grades as one of the better GPP targets that I have in my model this week. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to do with Lanto. I was looking at him. He was outstanding with his irons last week. Uh, he really was, was hitting those well. But his off-the-tee numbers were, are kind of wishy-washy. I'm not sure how many fairways he's going to hit. So um, if, you, if you're looking at an iron play, I mean, Lanto's a great value down here. Uh, and if he does drive it well this week and hit some fairways, uh, he can he certainly will compete and and probably get. I, I like him for a top twenty-five or something like that. Um, going down to the bottom of this range, um, there's now here's where I think we're going to start getting some more value, especially if we do want to take some shots up top in the high nine and get our DJs in here. We're going to need to find some guys down there. And I think there's some guys to like. The first one I'm going to mention. It just feels like there's always a little bit of controversial when you mention his name in DFS circles. It's Ricky Fowler. Uh, Ricky, you know, as you know, has fallen race player in the year, and you know they didn't even invite him to some of the majors. He's kind of like uh, he had to. I think he played on like one of like the amateur tournaments just to qualify for one of the tournaments, which is like for a guy like Ricky Fowler who has you know major commercial deals and everything is you know not. It's kind of embarrassing, but I feel bad for him a little bit. Um, but with all that being said, he, he has been turning it around. I mean, in his last two outings, um, he's got two really strong finishes. I just want to look at the number to make sure I don't butcher it, but it's he's at a tied for 11th at the Memorial, tied for 8th at the PGA. He has two missed cuts and then a tied for 17th at Valero. So the upside is certainly there, especially, like I said, we're calling this a mid-major tournament. You don't have to worry about a lot of those typical 9K guys we normally see. I think this is a spot where Ricky could fill in those shoes and and get you in that top 15 and top 10 finish. So I do like Ricky a lot. Another guy up here who I think is interesting is Stuart Sink. I know a lot of people say with the Pete Dye tracks, there's a lot of similarities with the Heritage. I mean, Sink won the Heritage. Um, You know, the the glaring factor with Sink is that he's not not very accurate off the tee. So he's not going to find a lot of fairways. So if that's something you're valuing high, he's not going to grade well. But other than that, I think his iron play – um, is exceeding what most people think from Stewart Sink right now. It's, it's really strong, and if you're kind of hanging your head on that, he can compete in this tournament, especially that it's a little bit kind of watered down. Um, I love, and one of my favorite plays out in this range, and, and probably for the whole tournament, and he's grading out well in kind of everyone's models, is Emiliano Grillo. Uh, Grillo's approach numbers and, and kind of how he should grade on this course is going to be really strong. His only kind of thing that's not almost perfect for this course is his off the team. It's not even poor. It's just like mediocre accuracy. Uh, but his ball striking, and he's another one where at 7,300, we've seen that upside. He is uh, tied for eighth at the Schwab, tied for 14th at the Wells Fargo. He's got a few other top 10 finishes this year. So if you're looking for a GPP upside play down here in this range, he's definitely one of them. Uh, Nick, what else are you seeing down here in this range? I'm a big, big fan of Ricky this week. I know ownership's going to be crazy high, but but I'm with it. Um, CT Pan was actually popping for both Spencer and I and our models for on the gambling side. So on DFS, I'm certainly going to take a look there if he's going to be zero to two percent owned in in the range of like if you're going to be one of the only guys that plays him in single entry. Absolutely, um, Guido Migliozzi. I don't know what to do with this guy. He stole the show Sunday. Did you have him in that showdown lineup? I didn't have him in my winning lap. I did play a good amount of him though. I loved Guido last week. Uh, I will say I might be biased because I loved him so much last week that uh, I'm not sure if that will carry over to this week. Uh, you know, he just had a really good week striking the ball, but uh, I'm definitely not going to fail. I'm, I'm going to have some exposure to him. He is a good golfer. I mean, he competes in Europe. You know, he's, he's a strong European golfer. It's just a matter of uh, will that translate here in the U.S. But as as well as he hit those irons last week, I'm going to give him a shot this week. 
Yeah, the only three. I mean, he's going to be in my player pool just because I can't fade him after what he did Sunday, and he's getting a ton of hype right now. But Ricky Fowler, a little bit of Zach Johnson. I know Spencer was on him last week from a top 40 perspective. I'm going to buy low on that. I mean, this course is going to be a lot shorter around the green, something that he should be really good at. He's such a good wedge player. And then uh, Carlos Ortiz, I feel like this guy was chalk a couple weeks ago. He's shown some really high upside in his game. He's a pretty good iron player. At 7.1K, I think this is some of the cheapest Carlos Ortiz shares we can buy all year. He's going to be under 5% owned. I love Carlos Ortiz, and that's pretty much it until I get to the 6K range. Actually, and Taylor Gooch, I mean, he's going to be extremely, extremely chalky. But actually, maybe he's not. Um, under 10% owned, and he's 7K. I think this guy has been a walking top 40 all year long outside of one bad tournament. I think Taylor Gooch is an absolute steal at 7K. Yeah, and like we talked about Gooch on our show, and at nine percent ownership, I mean, you can make an argument for a seven thousand dollar golfer. It's kind of high, but we can work around that. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I like Gooch also. Like, we seem to be on a lot of the same guys. I I like Ricky Fowler a lot. I think you know Driver's been the only thing missing in his last two starts, and while I think off the tee is going to matter here, he had gained in three straight prior to his recent run. Game seems to be turning around. I'm with Nick on CT Pan. We both have uh, top 40 tickets on him. I think Pan's a guy that you're going to be able to get at low ownership percentage. I like Brendan Steele at 7,200. That would be a GPP only type play, but four top 21 finishes here in his last five attempts. Um, You know, Kyle Stanley at 7,000. I just think he continues to be devalued on DraftKings. And then the two guys that I do have a pretty substantial model, I guess actually there's three guys I have a pretty substantial advantage on in my model. Uh, two of them are carrying a ton of ownership. Joel, as you mentioned, Grio's one of them. I, I always worry with the chalky Grio ownership that that's going to implode. He's 10th in my model. Like that's going to be a decision that's going to have to be made based off of where the ownership actually ends up going. Ches Revi at 7,000 is another guy I have an advantage on. And then you mentioned Stuart Sink at 7,300. I think the Pete Dye narrative is a really good one. I think the, you know, Sink has transformed his game. It's really interesting to see. Like, the guy all of a sudden now is a bomber, and it's come out of nowhere. And I'm not so sure that's necessarily going to be the best fit for a course like this. But irons are really good. And if the irons are good and he gets hot with the putter, he's inside the top 25 in all iterations of how I ran my model. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a ton for me either. I would say that, you know, there's going to have to be a decision made on Revy and Grio, But... Sink, Steel, Pan, Fowler, that's probably my preferred exposure of those four. I love it. I think uh, I think there's a lot of overlap. We all like a lot of the same guys. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Stanley. I like him at the range. I think he's a really good value and a really nice piece because uh, this is a really good price for him, in my opinion. So we're going to need a few guys down here to make some of these lineups work, and I think he's someone that I feel comfortable getting down to. Two more guys down at the bottom of this range we didn't mention that I just want to, you know, put on the show are Russell Knox, who actually graded out really well for me this week. He has won here before. It was a long time ago, five years ago, but he's won this tournament on this course. Uh, He's done well here in the past. You know, he missed the cut last time out, but before that, 21st, 38, 60 seconds. So uh, along with the win, this is a guy that that certainly can compete here. And I also want to mention – Pat Perez. So there's a narrative around Pat Perez that he's got a new swing coach and that the new swing coach is, is really has been improving his swing. And we've seen a big improvement from his approach numbers recently uh, around the green numbers. 
Uh, again, he's a 7K play. He's not someone I would be too overweight on. But if you're looking for more guys to help round out some of your lineups and you need to get someone down here, I think Perez could be another option. Yeah, yeah. We we talked about Perez on the show. I know Nick's on him for the top 40, so I'll, I'll let him mention something about that if he has anything he wants to say. But Knox is somebody who graded out well for me too. I've learned from doing the show with Nick. We don't mention Russell Knox on the show, so I try to just keep that just <laughs> like my lips sealed on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm all about Pat Perez this week. Not like all about it. I know I just kind of didn't mention him with the three that I chose for the 7K range, but I think he grades out extremely well. Shouldn't be too popular. So I, I do like that a lot. I love it. I love it. And now the daunted uh, 6K range. There's a few guys that I like down here that I think we should be able to find. But again, as normal, we're, we're not going to want to be too heavy on the 6K range. But uh, Spencer, why don't you start with anyone you like down there? I really like Henrik Norlander this week. He graded out well for me pretty much across the board. We're looking at less than 2% ownership on him. You know, if we look at what he's done at TPC River Highlands, 41st last year, 25th in 2016. He had a 25th at the Palmetto, which, you know, he had gone cold for a while, but his game seems to be turning around. He's somebody who graded out well for me. Ryan Moore at 6,800. Like, I always like shouting out the UNLV guys when I get a chance, but Moore is a great ball striker. He's a great total driver. He's great with his irons. Like there's a lot to like about him when you're just looking for guys down low that possess some upside to them. I, I think Ryan Armour at 6,700, Adam Long, 6,800, Hank Leviota, 6,700. Those were three guys in cash games that graded out well. I think Armour, you could make an argument that could play everywhere potentially based off of where his ownership is. And then I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to go much lower than that for the most part. I may be forced to in some situations because I'm with Nick. I'm trying to squeeze in as many guys on the top as I can and kind of just figure out where I'm at from there. Like two guys that were shots in the dark for me that that graded out well. Sam Ryder, 6,200. He's 126th in price. Borderline cut maker for me that's going to be less than 1% owned. I mean, that's not something that I'm necessarily going to be playing a bunch of, but at 1%, you don't need much to be way overweight on him. And then Nate Lashley at 6,400, another borderline cut maker that my model has as five or $600 where he should be higher priced than that. So about 7,000 is where my model thinks he should be. I think there's a little bit more safety in him than there is with Ryder with it, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not looking to go too much below that if I can avoid the situation. I like it. Nick, what are you seeing down here in the 6K range? Same as power. What's going on with him? Why is why is he six point six k? He's a late addition. So you know how sometimes with, when you're not originally in the player pool, DraftKings edge you like they always you not always, but oftentimes they underprice them. They put them down in the low six k range. So I think that's probably the reason. But you know, he's still Seamus Power. He's you know he should. I don't think he should be anymore. If he was seven k, fine, seven point two. But he's not going to be over seven point five or anything. Yeah, Seamus Power and uh, David Lipsky popped in my model. I'm just probably going to bet him to finish top 40. I don't know if I want really want to play him in DFS. Just seems like a guy that doesn't have a lot of upside. I do like Ryan Armour a little bit. I know uh, Spencer's got a, a good, I think it's three to one to finish top 40 on FanDuel with him. And then I do want to give a quick shout out. I know going back up to the 7K range, but Jason Day, how is no one talking about him at 7,500? I'm going to, um, again, I'm trying to figure out a lineup where I get Paul Casey, Scheffler, and Finau. I can get Jason Day and Taylor Gooch in that lineup, and then you can probably you know, just play Seamus Power, and then you just split the 
whatever the top tournament is. It's not a million maker, but yeah, we'll split it. Just play that lineup. We're good to go. <laughs> no, I actually, I, I think Jason Day for a GPP perspective is really interesting. I think you made a really good point. You know, especially in this field, he could have been more expensive and we're used to seeing him in the mid to high AK range. He hasn't been playing great, but he does pop where like he'll get you a top 15 and then all of a sudden he like misses three cuts and you're like, oh, I'm never playing Jason Day again. And then all of a sudden he gets you like this random top 15. So from an upside perspective, I think that certainly makes sense to give a few shots in some of these GPPs and seeing, uh, you know, and if the rest of your lineup hits and he comes through, that could, especially at a low ownership, uh, Jason Day, you know, it's like the opposite. Where low we're price and low ownership. Like it's exactly. the combo. I feel like everybody would buy it on the come right now, you know, buy your Bitcoin when it's cheap. You know, we, we all know this saying we're buying the dip with Jason Day and we're going to win. Well, I think what's interesting is, People who play DFS, right, if you're putting a lot of money out there, you're listening to shows like this. There's a lot of people putting out content, and people talk about the same guys. And a lot of models say the same things. And so models, you know, Jason Day won't grade out as well as a model, but we know the upside's there, and he's not getting mentioned. So from a deeper P perspective, you know, it's like it's, you know, two opposites of the spectrum. Underpriced, a low ownership GPP, right? If the guy's being talked about everywhere, the ownership's high, the price is high, then we want to kind of pivot from them. So – uh, he graded I, out 14th for me. So uh, like models not being everything aside, like he checks every box for me. I just want, I know Spencer's probably in the back itching cause he's never seen a Jason day <laughs> ticket. He didn't want to punch, but I don't know how people are avoiding them this week. I think, you know, I've come missing the U S open, like a guy that used to be a top 10 golfer every single year. I think he comes out with a little bit of a vengeance supports his boy, Ricky for having sex. Ricky's, you know, having a baby now. So, and that they're like best friends. I think Ricky's his son's godfather. Not necessarily 100% true on that, but I think it's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's gonna like good vibes all around. Jason Day is gonna come out and finish top 10 at 7,500. It's too cheap. Well, the reason why Jason Day is less than 5% owned, and, and I don't even think that like I'm appointed at this point, I just think I'm the leader of the Jason Day fan club. <laughs> so I haven't mentioned Jason Day. If I don't mention Jason Day, nobody plays Jason Day. So yeah. we're looking at less than 5% on him on this. and. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm trying to will positive vibes for him. I can't keep touting him every single week and watching him miss these cuts. The one thing I will say that I do love with, with what you guys just mentioned, he's a guy that if he can get hot with the putter, we know what his upside is. If the putter is all that's holding him back right now and everything else is going to be able to come together and keeps playing the way that it has been, Day has as much upside in this range as you can find. I'm going to stop there before I lose my house on a Jason Day outright ticket. I've, I've heard enough for myself from it, but I, I would agree with what you guys are saying with Day. Like from a leverage situation and upside sense, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you guys on that. Um, uh, Spencer, are the other guy, any other guys down here in the six camera that you're looking at? Uh, no, I mean, I would agree with Nick on the Seamus Power thing. I think anytime you get a birdie fest, uh, that's what you're looking for with Seamus. He was he was a guy that in his last start, I mean, he graded number one for me in my model before I filtered out some of the data to change it around a little bit. And even still, he was fourth. Like my model doesn't have him quite as high this week, but even still, I mean, it has him as a guy that should be in the $7,000 range this week. So I think power is a guy that makes a lot of sense. And we saw this with Stanley a couple weeks ago. And even uh, I believe Knox might've been in the same situation where they got into the field late for other reasons. And they just get priced lower than they should be. 
And, you know, they're getting buried down there where Seamus probably would have been a, you know, $7,500 golfer after what he had done. So I think it's just really good value that you're getting on him. And I mean, other than that, no, not really. I mean, that's about as low as I'm going if I can avoid it. Yeah, I'll wrap this up. The, the couple of names on here that, that I do want to mention are Satoshi Kadaira. So listen, Kadaira has been gaining a lot of strokes with his irons. He's, I actually liked him a lot going into the week. The one thing, one caveat I will mention is that he's also been gaining a ton of strokes with his putter. I'm not so sure how sustainable that is, uh, but he's been doing it the last three tournaments out. So if you think he's got one more run at it, at this price, he's just so low. He's certainly someone you can take a shot on in a, in a tournament. Um, a few other names on here that, that you guys uh, – that haven't been, been mentioned yet are Chase Seifert. Uh, so Chase Seifert, again, this is a shot in the dark here. We're going down to 6,700. But he did get a tie for ninth here in 2018, 43rd in 2017. His last time out the Palmetto, he was 35th. He was hitting his irons well. He's going to be accurate off the tee. should find a lot of fairways. So, again, if we're fishing for some uh, darts to throw in the 6K range, I think he's certainly viable. I also saw Ryan Armour's name being thrown around in the chat here. Um, and I do, I think, you know, this is, if there's a to play him, this is it. You know, he's going to be really accurate off the tee. Uh, this should be a course that suits him. He's actually been gaining strokes with the approach over the last couple of weeks, which is not characteristic for him. So if he's found something, um, not getting a ton of strokes, but gaining, and that's what's important. If he's found something there, then, then he can certainly compete this weekend. Let's not forget his last time out on this course, he had a tie for six. And if I remember correctly, he was actually competing to win that tournament, and he kind of got cold on Sunday. So he's someone that, you know, this might be just a course that that suits him well. Um, for the most part, I think that's uh, the last – I guess the one I'll just touch on, you mentioned Ryan Moore. He's going to hit a lot of fairways too. I mean, he's this guy's a really accurate off the tee. Uh, th- I think this is a course that should suit him well. Um, he does have a 15th, a 17th, and a 5th here, so – in his last five outings, he's got a few top 20s in the sixth game. It's hard. You're not going to find too much of that. So I do think he's another a nice option to go fishing for down here. But with that being said, that's going to wrap up the DS, DFS portion. I think we all are pretty much in are very much so in consensus with a lot of our plays. I think it's a tighter player pool than normal that we can go after. And uh, before we wrap up today, let's just talk. I know you guys do a whole podcast on betting. We're not going to spend that much time. Five or six minutes and kind of go through a few outrights and first round leaders like we always do. Uh, and we'll wrap up the show from there. So do you have any outright you want to start us off with? Uh, yeah, I don't have a huge outright ticket this week. Um, there, there's four names that I have. Uh, Paul Casey at 18 to one is somebody. And I know Nick and I had a long discussion on the show, which is an interesting take on his part with it. I think a lot of what he said makes sense with Casey, maybe waiting on him with it. But I punched the ticket at 18 to 1 when it first opened up. I think it's down to 16 to 1 now. I have better value than that, even at 16 to 1. So, I mean, I do think that, like, you could make an argument there. Uh, I have an outright ticket on Siwoo Kim, Brendan Steele, and Ricky Fowler. Those are my four this week. Um, Going to be pretty light on the outrights. I mean, I usually am with it. You, you have an 18 to one guy that already eats up a lot of the exposure for the week, but I'm going to be doing most of my bets in the top 40. I have a lot of head to heads this week. And then when we get around to the first round leaders, I have a couple that I didn't mention on the show. So I saved it for this show. So we'll go through for that. I love it. My outrights, my Nick, outrights oh, I have. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just we saying, let's there? do it. What do you got? All right. Scotty Scheffler. Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, and Tony Fino. 
that are my four outrights right now. And then, like uh, Spencer said, I didn't get 18-1 to 1 on Casey. I don't know if I would have hammered that anyway. I kind of like him at like 25-1. to 1, So I'll probably move live on Paul Casey. But Scheffler, Day, Ricky Fowler, and Fino are my boys this week. I love it. I love it. I have a few outrights. You know, for me, the outright market, um, if I'm going to bet – I can just to reiterate, if I'm going to bet – so the favorites, I like to wait to the weekend because I think you can get the value still when the weekend comes as long as they're not in the lead. So I like to look at some of the long charts pre-tournament because if you have a guy that's 100 to 1 that's in the top 10 going into the weekend, you're not going to get anywhere near 100 to 1 anymore at that point. Uh, the first one at exactly 100 to 1 um, is uh, old man Stuart Sink. Now, Stuart Sink has won twice already this year. I just think the 100 to 1 number is disrespectful for him. I don't think he's a great course fit because I don't think he's going to find a lot of fairways here. And I think he might struggle out of the rough. But just 100 to 1 just is way too high. I think he should be closer to 50 or 60 to 1. Uh, so you're getting almost close to double the value. Um, and so if you want to put a few bucks on that as a, as you know someone who does have the upside where if he puts it all together in a week, as we saw earlier this year multiple times. Now, the, I think the other caveat is, do we really think a 50 year or almost 50-year-old Stuart Singh is going to win three times this year? I don't know. That would be a lot. But value in that number. Um, I also like kind of staying up in this range at 90 to 1. I think Kyle Stanley is interesting. Uh, I think he's certainly someone with upside. He's not someone uh, that like, I, I wouldn't be betting him too much in like, the top 20 market. But I like him just taking the upside. If he has a week where he puts it all together, he can win at 90 to 1, I think. That's a really good number. And the last one I'll mention is Aaron Wise at 85 to 1, who, again, if he has found something with that putter, he can compete. This guy has the ball striking to compete with the big dogs. He just was really so bad around the green and putting. Uh, and recently he's been he's been hitting it and putting it, stroking it pretty well. So if he can continue that this week, I think he can win a tournament. So that's going to be my outright tickets. And let's go over to the first round leader, Spencer. What do you got? I have seven that I've written down. Now they're all above 66 to one from where I found them, but you know, we're going to take some darts. I, I had a Russell Henley 125 to one ticket last week. So I have a little bit money from that, that I guess it's burning a little hole in my pocket at this point with it. But uh, Lanto Griffin, 80 to one for first round leader, Sam Burns, 66 to one, Brendan Steele, a hundred to one, Henrik Norlander, 150 to one. Nick's boy, Russell Knox, which like I should have told him to close his ears at that point, but 100 to 1, Harold Varner at 80 to 1. And I agree with you on Wise. I didn't have a Wise ticket. I'm going to punch a Wise first round leader ticket. Even if he doesn't win this tournament, I think he is the exact type of guy you're trying to find. If he gets hot with the putter, he's capable of going off on one of these rounds. And I think that's a really uh, good point that you've brought up about him. So I'm going to add a seventh one. I mean, they're all long shot prices, so I won't have that much exposure as much as it seems like. It's a bunch of random names down there, but those are the seven biggest outliers I had in my model this week. So kind of like that from a value perspective. As a big Henrik Norlander fan, now that you said 150 to one, that got me all sorts of excited. I'm definitely throwing a little, a little something on that for sure. Nick, what do you got? I honestly have not gotten in the first round leader market Russell at all. Knox. Yeah, Russell Knox, hell, whatever. If I've never not bet him, so let's let's go right back to Russell yeah. Knox if Spencer is Knox, that's an easy one. <laughs> I have a few for us that I'll throw out there again. We're sticking to the theme here. We, we want some long shots here uh, and a first-round leader play. Uh, one I'll throw out there that we haven't mentioned on the show today. I actually don't love him that much this week, but I just think the number on a first-round leader 
for this type of a golfer is really strong. And that's Cameron Tringal at 80 to one. Um, I don't love his form, but he could have one day where he is striking it really well. And to get a first round leader at 80 to one, I think that's just a really strong number for him. So, so I like that there. Uh, in addition to him, uh, some other first round reader plays, and you know, I'm surprised neither one of you guys have mentioned them already is uh, Francisco Molinari at 70 to one. You know, Molinari came out last week hot. He started off the, the, the round one really strong. I tried, I doesn't mean it's actually true, but I, I'd like to find tendencies and guys that, you know, are coming out strong in tournaments, playing well early on. I think Molinari is one who tends to start better than he finishes. So he's someone that I might want to target for first round leader, especially if we like him a lot this week at 70 to one. I think that's going to be a good number. Um, and Emiliano Grill, also 71, the same range, as we said before, he's very volatile. So he's, his best bets are going to be, you know, single round, first round leader type bets. And 70 to one shot, I think, is a good number for him. And the last one I'm going to leave you guys with is Carlos Ortiz at 80 to one. That's it for this week. Uh, what do you think, Spencer? You have any last thoughts for this tournament? No, I mean, I appreciate you guys having me on this. It was a lot of fun doing this, and I think it's going to be a good tournament. I mean, I guess my final takeaway from it is I'm going to be stacking the top of the board with as many guys. I know Nick has that same strategy this week, and trying to find just ways to deviate down below with, you know, a lot of the guys that we mentioned. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited for this week. I think it should be a fun tournament. Awesome. Nick, what do you got? <laughs> I agree. I think it's going to be a, a really fun tournament. Um, uh, I, my exposures this week are, are pretty dialed in on some of the guys that we mentioned this week. So I think uh, we're going to have a now and in pool. If we hit, we're all going to be making money. If we don't, then we'll see you guys again next week to kind of win that back. But thanks again. You know, give Nick and Spencer a follow at the Better Golf Podcast. That's the Better B E T T O R Golf Podcast. Uh, their stuff is really great, especially if you're punching tickets on the outright or the top 40 market. They've uh, these guys have been hitting all year on some on some really great plays. And and honestly, I've been listening to you guys. I've been make cashing and and making money on all my bets as well. So uh, give them a follow. Thanks a lot for joining us and covering for CIA tonight. Hopefully, we can get you guys back on soon. And good luck this week, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Joel. Sports. Sports. <laughs>